the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Imagine pulling up to the petrol pump in your car and being confronted with 20 different pumps, each offering different blends of different fuels. Now, imagine a scenario where at each petrol station you visit next, that choice of different fuels is going to be entirely different. Well, welcome to the future of shipping. We talk in broad terms about a multi-fuel future coming for shipping, but there is still such little clarity over what that means in practical terms, and I'm afraid it's about to get more complex before it gets easier. LCA, or Lifecycle Analysis, is another acronym that you are going to have to get pretty familiar with shortly, because the consideration of the carbon impact of the fuel choices that shipping is taking is going to be factored into regulation, and it's coming sooner than you think. Now, this is a big topic, but I want to bring it up this week because I think we need to consider the discussion now in the context of ordering decisions that have already been taken and likely will be taken over the next year or so. Dual fuel engines are now effectively standard in many asset classes, and it's looking like that flexible hybrid option is going to dominate for some time to come as owners pay through the nose, flexibility amid uncertainty. So this week, I want to bring you two experts with important points to make on this topic. Martin Wold is a naval architect and a consultant working in DNV's Knowledge Hub on alternative fuels, and he spends a lot of his time working out which fuels are going to fit which ships. So I caught up with him this week as he put out his latest snapshot of which engine types are being ordered where. But first, I caught up with Edwin Pang, also a naval architect and the founder of consultancy Arcilia. He's one of the key movers and shakers inside the current regulatory discussion defining life cycle analysis. So we started talking about the factors that are affecting ordering decisions today and why that process is about to get more complex. The way I'm thinking about this is that there's uncertainty in the market. And for a, for a long time, people were ordering LNG dual fuel. I think the price of LNG at the moment has put the frighteners on everyone because they think, well, we've never seen it. So everyone who's probably operating a dual fuel vessel at the moment is definitely not using the LNG bit, but it's using diesel. So that's the kind of, there might be some dampening sentiment from that. And then when you come to the, the future, well, you, you go for what, partly what engine's available. So methanol, two strokes are very relatively available off the shelf. Ammonia is still a bit of an unknown context, an unknown quantity. So you sort of, it's a bit of a guess or a stab in the dark if you kind of go down the ammonia dual fuel route. Mm. Um, but that's the easy bit, actually. That sort of, well, you know, this 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 basically, I don't know, two, two or three choices. Is it ammonia dual fuel? Is it methanol dual fuel? Is it LNG dual fuel? Maybe there might be some batteries in the mix and there'd be some sort of wind and stuff. Where, where the coal LCA discussion is, is going to take it, and it's a lot more concrete, I think, than people think, because we're going to have some guidelines by next year, more, more than likely, is that suddenly it will be every, what, what flavour of ammonia can I get at, at what price and what flavour of methanol can I get and at what price and can I actually get it reliably? The, the liners will have one view on it and the tramps will have one view on it. And I think that's important because we as an industry have had some fairly broad brush discussions and you have lots of people coming out and saying methanol is the future, ammonia is the future. No, it's definitely hydrogen. And to be honest, they are interesting conversations, but we're now in the space where we need to start having those specific conversations. So 
when you talk about LCA, lifecycle analysis, for the benefit of dis- uh, listeners who are perhaps not quite so in depth in that conversation, can you just mm-hmm. spell out what you're talking about? Sure. LCA is um, an acronym for life cycle analysis. And in the IMO context, when we look at fuels, um, we have up to now always been looking at tank to wake, the CO2 that you emit when you burn the fuel or you use the fuel. Now, what's the, the unknown bit, which can wildly change the calculation, is what happens when you produce the fuel. For fossil fuels, this isn't very controversial, but when you get to e-fuels or using a fossil fuel with carbon capture, or if you use a biofuel, that portion from the well to the tank, so the kind of production bit of it, becomes very important. And and the carbon associated with that bit can either be extraordinarily large, or it can be uh, negative in the case of biofuel as you remove uh, CO2 from, uh, from the atmosphere. And the idea of LCA is that you then now have a proper view of what is the carbon impact of, of a fuel. And traditional LCA analysis typically also includes some idea of sustainability and other environmental issues. So it might be, you know, does it does it use an inordinate amount of water? Um, does it um, produce toxic chemicals that will leach somewhere? And that in, in the maritime context, we should always be thinking about local air quality. So listeners to the podcast will have heard recent discussions around uh, sustainability and a more holistic look at how we deal with a circular economy. But this is specifically around this question of fuels. And that's important because it fits into the wider conversation around the oncoming regulatory onslaught of EEXI and CII and that that familiar acronym soup of regulations that everybody is worrying about that are known about. But LCA is perhaps not talked about quite so much in the wider context of shipping. Where does it fit into that timeline of uh, things that ship owners should be worried about? It's coming. Um, We're in the process of uh, drafting and discussing some IMO guidelines on LCA. Now, these will initially be standalone. So we've sort of, in order to, to, to not get burdened by how it will end up being used, we've agreed to sort of say these guidelines are, will, will, will form an agreed methodology of how we would actually calculate LCA of fuels. And you, you'll guess, uh, you will be, we'll, we'll do the calculation and come up with a, with a bunch of sort of typical values for a range of current and future fuels. What we do with that as, is, is as yet unknown. Now, the, the, the obvious connection is with something like CII, which is operational. So it might mean that, you know, halfway through the year, you might be using one fuel and the other half or in certain other parts of the, of the year, you'd be using some other fuel and you, you do all that calculation and sum up your carbon at the end of it. That's the obvious place. But we're not quite ready to have that discussion yet. Mm. Um, and it's not nece- it may not necessarily be as trivial to simply say, okay, we'll just expand the CIA framework to include the use of LCA. There's probably still a little bit more work to be done. So we're talking, I don't know, <laughs> anything from two to uh, several years on, noting that the CIA framework needs to be reviewed by uh, before 2026. And so it may fit into that sort of timeline when we will then get um, sort of proper consideration of LCA with the NIMO instruments. And that's important because it needs to be considered in terms of commercial decisions around fuels and investment 
it needs to be considered in terms of the regulatory development of things like the IMO's review of uh, targets. Uh, at the moment, we're looking at 50% reduction, but you know there is every possibility that we're going to be looking at a more ambitious target reviewed in the midterm measures, and everybody's looking forward to MEPC 80 next year as the, as the big sort of waypoint, I guess, in terms of people's thinking. And then we have outside programs like the Poseidon Principles and uh, the Get to Zero Coalition and scientific-based uh, targets coming in. There is a huge swathe of different things circling around shipping, and there isn't a huge amount of clarity over any of them yet. But we are looking at a period where we are going to start seeing some tangible things that are going to affect decisions, aren't we? Absolutely. There's there's lots of there are lots of initiatives out there, and it's good because it really they they all have slightly different perspectives and different takes on the on on the same thing. It's driving lots of interest, lots of um, focus, lots of analysis on on the same things. We hope at some point we hope, or at least I hope, we'll start to converge on some of these things because actually, for for ship owners to have to uh, comply with a whole raft of different things, which are all slightly different, is is I think a bit of a headache. Um, but yes, there is an absolute deluge coming, um, and we we do need to consolidate so that it's all kind of pointing towards the same direction. This is where, whether it's IMO, it's EU, it's kind of private sector. And it's unfair of me to ask you to comment on commercial decisions that others are taking, but we're talking on the podcast this week about the the fleet order book and, and the number of ships that are being ordered with dual fuel and tri-fuel and various other options. But these are interim measures. This is uh, the industry essentially looking for as much flexibility and efficiency that it can bed in while it's waiting for other things to happen. Do you have any sense from the discussions you're having that the industry is sort of waiting as far as possible? There's a sort of there's a break on decisions as far as uh, orders are concerned because people are waiting for that clarity that you're talking about. You, you'll find a range of different responses from the industry, depending on whether they tend to be early movers, fast followers, and will just sort of wait. So different ship owners in different contexts will say different things. It, I think it's it's great, actually, that people are experimenting. And, and you know, the, the more experience we get with some of these dual fuel designs and, and technologies and, and the, the bunkering context, um, the better. These are enablers, I think. They set us up for being able to make that transition when we get there this is sort of let's let's get some experience let's understand how this all sort of works let's iron out the safety issues let's iron out the implementation issues and this is all really fantastic um and kudos to the owners who and, and the charters were enabling this sort of um initial foray into um looking into some of these things or and experimenting and, and and placing those bets um they are equally a probably many, many, many owners who, who are unsure um, and there isn't very much clarity. Uh, you, we are making sort of large bets and the bets are going to become, well, the, the landscape's going to become more complicated when LCA kicks in. So let's talk about those bets that have already been made and the bets yet to come. Martin Wall from DMV is someone who is at the centre of the decisions over which engines to go for. And obviously, we are seeing an influx of tonnage that is dual or, in some cases, tri-fuel. Certainly, it's very popular in the containers and some of the car carriers right now, but the choices are limited. There is no zero-carbon ship that any owner can go out and order today. So it's a question of decisions being based on availability, 
flexibility, and in some cases not making decisions at all in the hope that if we hold off long enough, something better might come along. So, Martin, just start us off with a quick snapshot of where we are with the current fleet and the current order book in terms of the decisions that are being made. Yeah, uh, you're spot on, right? There's no uh, silver bullet, there's no zero carbon fuel available for ordering right now. So so the next second best thing is is basically the, the low carbon fuels that... Uh, that we see appearing now, and LNG is the option that is obviously leading the leading the pack right now. It's uh, counting now more than 800 vessels in 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 total. Uh, may seem like a small number, but it's actually one percent of the fleet. And and if you look at the size of those ships, you also see that the fuel consumption from those uh, 800 ships will actually constitute some three three and a half percent of the world. Uh, fuel consumption for shipping. So that's approaching actually 10 million tons of oil equivalents uh, just there. And it's uh, mainly driven by by containers and, and uh, car carriers uh, this year, but also other segments have made sizable movements into, into the LNG option. Mm. I mean, you mentioned car carriers and, and containers. Clearly there has been demand and orders have had to have been placed. So going for the dual fuel option, that seems like a sensible move. Probably not so much demand in the dry bulk order book and certainly not in the tankers yet, but is every possibility we are going to see that demand coming as we move through the cycle? Is it your assumption that those orders when they come will be majority dual fuel? It's a really good question it, uh, and it, I really think also it's a bit of a segment specific uh, question to, to answer. Uh, you've seen sort of the, the orders for containers now, uh, 50% of them on a TU basis is, is LNG in the last uh, 18 months and also some, some methanol. And for, for, for car carriers it's actually been uh, almost 100% uh, with LNG. Um, bulkers, uh, there has there was a, a chunk of bulkers ordered in in 20 and 21, uh, where almost 40, 50 percent of them uh, were with LNG fuel, and that was driven by uh, the oil majors and, and the long time charter um, agreements that they were willing to to offer for those vessels. So uh, I wouldn't uh, rule out that that could um, could happen again uh, when when orders uh, pick up again for 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 bulkers. Oh, sorry, not the oil majors, but the uh, but the cargo owners, of course, in the in the bulkers space. Mm. And also quite similar for for the tankers uh, in in last years. There was also a, a fair chunk of LNG field ships uh, ordered, some tens of, of vessels on on long term charters for oil majors. Uh, and we saw you don't see any reason uh, why that would not pick up again uh, at the same level when the ordering, at least for the big vessels, uh, starts uh, when, when the time cycle turns. Mm. Increasing interest in methanol as well, I noticed in the last round of figures, albeit from a lower base. Is that, do you think, indicative of anything or simply indicative of the fact that, as we said at the outset, people are looking for flexibility and they're building in the potential to switch to these fuels when they come in rather than necessarily building a ship that is intended to run on these fuels from today. We we certainly think this is uh, this is a trend and that we will see increasing number of methanol fueled ships uh, coming. We we truly believe uh, in a multi-fuel future. Uh, we don't see any way around it. There's uh, like I said uh, both of us there's no silver bullet. There's different options for different ships. Uh, so so methanol is is certainly coming. Uh, the total count now is just over 50. Uh, half of them 
are um, transporting methanol as a cargo, uh, so maybe a bit unfair to, to count them. But uh, the other half is is uh, containers and and also some nice fits in the in the offshore wind segments where uh, where it sort of fits well with the with the story for for uh, green uh, electricity production as well. So we think this will will increase, maybe in particular in in the container segment. Uh, I mean, it's been remarkable how how Maersk is more or less sole handedly has been able to fast forward that development for maybe five, maybe even more uh, years than than that uh, by by taking such an active uh, uh, stance in this in this segment. Mm. Well, it's, then, I mean, it's interesting you you mentioned that because I mean the the the, the Maersk pledge on on methanol is obviously an interesting market mover we yet to see you know a huge amount of people follow suit and uh, Maersk is well Maersk is Maersk it is often not an indicator of anything other than Maersk intention and I'm wondering you know how you see those pilot projects elsewhere on so many other things that we hear about in terms of headlines there's one argument that says this is a positive sign this is about uh, you know driving technology maturity and we need these things to happen and there's you know, another view that says, well, you know, there's a few test projects, but probably not moving at a sufficient pace for it to worry your statistics in any near term scenario. I mean, how would you look at this in terms of somebody who's who's looking quite carefully at what decisions are and aren't being made right now? I think if you look beyond LNG and, and methanol, it is uh, quite uh, quite few products uh, that are being actually ordered uh, these days and and or until now and 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 uh, I think there's still some patience needed to see those uh, other technologies actually mature. Uh, for hydrogen, uh, there's less than ten vessels uh, confirmed for for seagoing uh, size uh, vessels. Uh, ammonia, there's still uh, not a single uh, product really confirmed with uh, with the orders uh, at, the, at the shipyards, but there's lots of initiatives, so, so no doubt that this is coming, uh, and we'll probably see that uh, quite uh, quite soon with the first orders, but it really takes time for, the, for that technology to, to mature. So we really see this, and quite likely this entire decade will be a decade for testing and piloting and, and really proving by operational uh, performance that, that uh, especially ammonia is fit for purpose for, for ships. And, and we, think it, uh, we think that will be a successful outcome. We have a strong, um, uh, strong belief in ammonia as a long-term solution, but we also uh, think we need to be realistic on, on how quickly it, uh, it will move. And that speed, of course, is, is key. Uh... DNV were very bullish very early on LNG and perhaps the initial forecast didn't quite match expectations but I'd say you know, in the long run you have probably been proved right albeit not at the speed you suggested initially. The reality is though right now dual fuel LNG is the dominant uh, order option that is available. Do you see that continuing and for how long do you think that's going to be the standard until something else happens? Can you give us any sort of prediction in terms of timelines? Yeah, oh, it's uh, first thing to say and emphasize, I think, is that uh, it's probably never been more difficult to to answer that question than, than right now, uh, given, the, of course, the obvious uh, price situation for gas and, and, and LNG. Uh, which is really a headache, of course, both for those with the vessels on the water, but uh, not the least for those making investment decisions uh, right now. 
So if sort of if that was out of the picture uh, and the gas price was was normalized, uh, we uh, really believe that um, LNG ordering would be at an even higher pace than what we have seen now. So we do believe it's putting some uh, s- having some slowing effect uh, to the ordering activity for for LNG fueled uh, new builds. So, but maybe you can split it into into two parts. So it's um, it's those uh, those ship owners and charters who who really believe that the bio LNG uh, and synthetic LNG option really ensures uh, optionality and continued compliance for for LNG fuel ships in the in sort of a lifetime of a vessel. Those who who really see that and and believe that future, uh, they. For them, it's, it's basically no big issues or no showstoppers at, at this stage for, for, for ordering LNG fuel chips. Its availability is, is in general not an issue anymore. So you're left with this gas price uncertainty. And, and it's, it seems like majority is believing that uh, gas prices will normalize within 25, 26. And, and that's the perspective of a new build anyway uh, to get on the water. So, so from that perspective, and, and if you combine this with the gradually tightening regime for with CII and the EU regulations and so on, uh, the there is a need for low carbon fuels uh, to be entered uh, or to enter the, the fuel mix now, and and we think that bio LNG is quite likely a, a strong contender compared to the alternatives, both in terms of alter availability. Um, and in terms of price. So we really see no reason why uh, the ordering of LNG fuel ships will not continue uh, for maybe until closer to 2030 at, at current pace. And, and then we will have much better clarity on the long-term uh, competitiveness of, of the green ammonia and availability of that uh, compared to the availability and price of, of bio-LNG and how far that will get you. So there you have it. We can't promise you simplicity in your future, but we can at least add some clarity to your understanding of it. We will be back next week with another expert insight into risk coming down the pipeline for shipping, this time the EU emissions trading system, and why you probably need to be talking to your lawyers about charter party contracts sooner rather than later. For now, thank you for listening and have a good week. (laughs) 